Hey, before we get into my discussion with Chloe, I've just got a few announcements. Firstly, I'd like to welcome two new patrons to the Outer Rim Reads team. So shout out to Sam and Nigel for joining, as well as a massive thank you to our patron at the Lothal tier, Simon. Thank you so much to everyone who has chosen to support the show on Patreon. You all are a huge part of what keeps me going week to week. If anyone would like to join our wonderful team of patrons and get access to bonus content, my notes, voting rights for future material, a bonus monthly show, and more, you can do so at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. I'm happy to say that Lily, our patron Sturm's new doggo, is the newest member of the Pet Pictures channel on our patron Discord server. Everyone who's not already a part of the server is definitely missing out on cats shaped like loaves and doggos much cuter than we deserve. Now it's time for our Search Your Reading segment. Our discussion question was, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were startled to find that their lightsabers were useless against the Lunar Militant group. As Meg pointed out, they were put on the defensive when one of their greatest advantages was taken from them. Do you think many Jedi would be able to adapt quickly like Qui-Gon did? Or is their confidence in their weapons sometimes misplaced? As always, we have a response from Simon, whose unique force ability might as well be discussion insight. Simon, Jedi Master of Discussion, has a good ring to it. He wrote on Twitter, I do think many Jedi would be able to adapt, though probably in different ways. After all, Jedi aren't just a lightsaber. I think many would rely on force abilities to either defeat the enemies if they're strong enough, or to retreat, or possibly something else. Younger Jedi do seem to be a bit more aggressive in the sense that they'd rather fight than retreat, for example. I do think that's partly due to the training they receive and their way of life, as it's easy to see why they think they're so amazing and can defeat anyone. Doug from Discord wrote, I think most capable Jedi would adapt. It would surprise me if they didn't regularly train without them. It would be gross negligence not to, really. Just like in a modern military, soldiers aren't trained in firearms combat only. I do think that Qui-Gon handled the situation very well, though. Even with alternative methods training, the situation was not an easy one to deal with. And finally, we have a couple of responses from Instagram. Sturm answered, I think most Jedi would adapt very quickly. Despite Obi-Wan saying a lightsaber is, quote, your life, I believe that a lightsaber is only an extension of a Jedi's body and mind. And so, without it, there's still a lot of Jedi left. Lightsaber training is only a tiny part in a Jedi's learning. Their intelligence, insight, and use of the Force is enough to get them through any situation. In my opinion, a lightsaber is only a colorful bonus. Our last response comes from Sam, who actually took a different route, pretty much the counter-argument to Sturm. He wrote, I definitely think a disproportionate amount of confidence is placed in their lightsabers. It makes sense, though, since their training outside of the Force is grounded in the use of lightsabers as an extension of themselves. I think back to Obi-Wan lecturing Anakin that, quote, This weapon is your life. And I'd contend that too much reliance is placed on the lightsaber, leaving Jedi on the back foot when it comes to adaptation and improvisation. Outside the lightsaber box thinking, if you will. Insert glasses with mustache emoji. <laughs> These responses were fantastic. Thank you all so much and stay tuned for our next question at the end of this episode. Without further ado, let's get into episode 30 of Outer Rim Reads. 
Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 30 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we'll be walking through chapters 22, 23, and a flashback scene from Master and Apprentice, and I'm joined today by the host of the Galaxy Gossip podcast and known on Twitter as Lightsaber Queen, Chloe Michelle. Chloe, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for being on the show. Hello, I'm so honored to be here. This is so exciting. I think this is my second podcast ever for Star Wars stuff, so this is super cool. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Of course, I, I had heard you first, I think, on um, Ian from talking with my Hans. He, he was like a fan interview, and I, yes. I listened to that one. And I think you had mentioned that one of your life aspirations is to construct a TIE Defender. And I was as soon as I heard that, I was like, I need her on the show. <laughs> Accurate. Yes, that's my life goal right now. Everything I'm doing is just building towards that. <laughs> that is honestly what we should all be striving for. So. <laughs> and with just how much I love Thrawn, that's just bonus points there. So um, I'm glad to have you on the show uh, to talk about some Master and Apprentice. But to give the listeners an idea of where you're coming from with Star Wars and with Master and Apprentice, do you mind talking a little bit about you know, your background with Star Wars and then specifically with this book? Sure. Yeah. So I think kind of the beginning of my background with Star Wars was that I was scared of a lot of science fiction movies when I was a kid I just could not watch them and one day my dad just decided to get me to watch The Phantom Menace even though like it was something that would have been considered scary for me and like honestly Darth Maul was scary when I watched it for the first time which you know that's kind of embarrassing but whatever so (laughs) anyway it kind of started with that and I watched them in chronological order I actually did not watch them in release order which I know is kind of different from what a lot of people do so I'm here for it (laughs) I think the fact that I watched them in chronological or no yeah I watched them in chronological order so so I think the fact that I did that made me really appreciate the prequels in a way that like some people don't because that was like the beginning of the story to me. It was like the part that yeah. I like fell in love with when I watched it. And then obviously at the time Clone Wars was a thing and it was going on. So then I was also watching that at the same time. So pretty much like most of my Star Wars background as I was growing up is all in the prequel era. So then when you approached me about discussing Master and Apprentice, it was on my book list and like I love <laughs> the prequel era and like I love Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. So I was like, this is the perfect opportunity to just go crazy about the prequels and like I get to just talk about it it's awesome so I think that's kind of where my background's at yeah for sure that I do um remember that you've said before that your favorite Star Wars movie is Attack of the Clones am I correct there okay so it's the one that I like to rewatch the most Uh, okay okay okay. like in terms of my (laughs) ranking I think it's number four yeah, it's okay, number still four. higher than most people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's just I think because I love Clone Wars so much, then like that movie kind of just like solidifies yeah. that time period like in the canon. So then it's just one of those things where like I can go back and watch it and I feel like I'm a kid again. I will say that when I because me and my brothers used to watch that a lot when we were growing up. Yeah. Just because, you know, it, it has a lot of very cool moments in it. And it so does. It, it was very rewatchable for us. And I will say I'm slowly but surely rewatching watching the Skywalker saga and when I watched it again it it had been literally years since I'd last seen Attack of the Clones but when I came back to it I was like I actually like it more than I thought I would (laughs) coming back I know you know an adult (laughs) yeah it's like one of those things where like even like sometimes like the beginning of Clone Wars like when I watched it the first time it kind of was like it was okay like it kind of clicked with me and now I go back and watch it and I'm like oh my god like I can connect it to this and this and this and this and this (laughs) so 
that's so good. That's so good. And how did you get introduced to Master and Apprentice? You know, obviously coming into it with a big love for the prequels. Um, yeah, how did you come across it? So I think, like, honestly, when I joined Twitter, I learned that there were lots of Star Wars books because before then I didn't really know that there were so much. <laughs> and I mean, that's, like, maybe embarrassing to admit, but I just, like, wasn't really aware. And I'd been kind of, like, detached from Star Wars for a bit because I was so busy with, like, working on my Instagram, like, my other social media projects and stuff and school, obviously. So then coming back into Twitter, people were talking about, like, books. And then I got, like, I think I got, like, a list of book recommendations. Somebody tagged, I think, mm. a book account on Instagram. And then they sent me, like, a very long list. So that was kind of the beginning of my introduction. And then I saw a bunch of people talking about Master and Apprentice on the timeline. And I figured out what it was. And I was like, oh, my God, it's about <laughs> Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Like, this is everything I needed. So then that was kind of how it ended up on my book list. And then it just kind of ended up getting put off because you know, school and life and yeah, everything sure. was just crazy last year. So, but you made it, and yes, uh, you. I think you had mentioned that you have read through it. Well, so uh, I'm, yes. I'm glad that you've gotten to enjoy what I've come to appreciate as a as a truly fantastic book. I'm excited to talk about these chapters that we've got in front of us today. So, why don't we dive right into chapter 22? Sure. Halen Azuka leads Qui Gon and Obi Wan to a hideout deep in the forest. There, she and her followers assert their innocence to the Jedi toward the recent escalations on Pijal. Halen assures them they never intended any harm, and that it is really the other group, the soldiers clad in black, who have been responsible for the violence. Halen affirms that the opposition opposes the governance treaty, but only because of the horrifying truths hidden within its writing. According to her, the treaty benefits the Zerka Corporation more than Pijal or its moon, allowing them to forever stay a part of Pijal's economy as it mines destructively on the moon. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan also learn that Rail had given Zerka control over Pijal's penal system, allowing it to punish many crimes with slavery. In light of these horrible truths, Qui-Gon assures Halen that he will discuss the matters with Rail. There is a lot of exposition in this chapter, but it is a heavy one. There is a lot going on here. And really the most light that we've got uh, the chance to, to, to have shed on both the opposition and, you know, where they're coming from. Right. And this governance treaty that we've known exists. We know that they've been pressing to, uh, at least the royalty on Pajal are pressing to get it signed. And this is really where it all, the picture starts to form more completely in front of us. What were your general impressions and reactions to chapter 22? Oh my gosh. So I was kind of like, as I was reading it, I knew which chapters that we were going to talk about. And I was like, I wonder what it's going to be. Like, what's it going to be like? So then I like started reading this when I was like, oh my God, everything's coming together. Like, I think I'm actually understanding what's happening here instead of this like kind of, I felt like I was just generally kind of confused on like what was going on with sure. the plot. But then reading this, it was kind of like, okay, so this is completely taking a different turn than anything I was expecting. So it was kind of just like that wild realization of like, wait, maybe I had this all wrong in my head. Yeah, I mean, honestly, for now, half of the book, you know, we're halfway through. 
Yeah. For the whole time, really, we've been kind of on the side of this treaty. Like, you know, they got to get it signed, protect exactly. you know, the, the coronation and the treaty signing at all costs. And in this chapter, we realize, you know, have <laughs> rereading re it uh, as well, you know, me and you both, how wrong we might have been about everything. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so as the chapter kicks off, you know, they're taken to this hideout and kind of the first sign that we get that the opposition might not be who we thought they were is that Qui-Gon is looking around and realizing that the opposition members with them, like when they're holding their weapons, it looks very awkward, like as if they've not been trained to do so. It, it looks uncomfortable for them, which seems kind of odd coming from, you know, who we've thought to be this right. deadly terrorist group. And right now it seems that maybe the real professionals were the group that almost killed Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan had these opposition members not stepped in. So right off the bat, we're like kind of who we thought the opposition were is instantly put into question by Qui-Gon's observation here. Right. His observations were so astound. Like when I was reading this, I was like the fact that it's detailed enough that he would notice small things like that. I was like, that's really just impressive, like to see displayed in writing. For sure. Uh, his his perceptions, his, his focus at many of the times in this book are truly incredible. Yeah. Uh, his, his stock has just it, it was high ish for me and now it's just soared through the roof yeah um, i have like infinite respect <laughs> for sure um and we get this funny moment here where pax and Rahara try to uh communicate with Qui-Gon and obi-wan like asking yes. if they're okay and the opposition members get tense all of a sudden because you know they're wondering so, are they being contacted yeah exactly are these palace troops like what's happening yeah and <laughs> I love how Qui-Gon answers Halenir. He says, quote, No, as a matter of fact, those are jewel thieves. A moment's disbelief in her eyes gave way to amusement. You must be telling the truth because that's much too weird to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part. It's like, you know, rarely do we ever, and clearly Halen as well, like rarely have we ever heard of just specifically jewel thieves. Like it's yeah. very niche. It is. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not just like a thief. It's like specifically, this is the only thing they do. Exactly. It's like, you know, it, it's just exactly how she said. It's just too weird for it to be a lie. <laughs> and I just, I, I love that. It's, you know, showing that these guys can, uh, that, that they're able to maybe joke around and maybe, maybe yeah. lighten the mood a little bit um but um you know they're they're talking about the group that they've called the black guards the the soldiers right. in the black uniforms from back there um when i read black guards first i was like could they be you know they're a theater troupe could they be a little bit more creative like you know the boys in black you yeah. know the, the 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 backstage boys which was my thought that okay so we have the opposition which is a theater group what if these other guys are the tech crew? Because the tech crews for theater groups always wear like black behind the scenes, you know? Exactly. And, and what yeah. if this group is just a pissed off group of techies, you know, that wanted more spotlight from the from the from right. the theater troupe? <laughs> um, and they end up reaching this cave, uh, this hideout, and uh, there's this brief thought from Qui-Gon and he's looking around and he's confirming it as, quote, a hideout then. An emergency meeting place. A few Gatalantan meditation candles sat in an alcove. Someone had tried to find peace here, to which I thought, Qui-Gon has been here before. <laughs> yeah, I, I like highlighted that in mine. I was like, he knew that they were like a specific type of meditation candle. Like, he's got to know something. Do you think Qui-Gon might be secretly a part of the opposition, given what we just discovered here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it seems likely. <laughs> We're not ruling anything out. No. <laughs> you know, Claudia has already shown us that she can pull off some twists. And, yeah. you know, this is still on the table. He might, he might be secretly. It just felt like the rug it. was ripped from underneath my feet in this chapter. So, yeah. It's consistent. Yeah. 
And so what pretty much unfolds next is the opposition's explanation kind of like for their own defense. And Halen is saying that, you know, they were just as scared as anyone when the first violent attack started happening, because up until then, it had been everything that we'd thought, you know, harmless political stunts, pretty much. And, you know, she's saying that when the violence started, the government blamed it on them, and they legitimately had to go on the run. And Qui-Gon's thinking about them as these, quote, artists with weapons. And when I hear that phrase, artists with weapons, it's, it's a sad reality, really, like where one day... You know, they're doing some you know, political protesting that's not hurting anyone. And the next day they're labeled as dangerous terrorists. Right. And they're forced to leave everything behind and kind of become fighters when that this wasn't was their never reality. how it was supposed to be. Exactly. Yeah. What were your thoughts on just really their whole world being thrown upside down? Honestly, like this part of the chapter was kind of upsetting. Like not in like a bad way, but just in like the sense like I felt bad for them. Because like you can tell that these people are clearly just trying to do what they think is right. Because there's so much corruption and injustice going on in this situation and they're just like Mm. not receiving the treatment they deserve so i think it was just kind of an interesting insight into like how different things are happening in the galaxy at points that we don't technically see in the movies sometimes like we're just not aware of these things well for sure and and that's partly why i love delving into just the books in general is that we do get these closer looks at you know the realities that we don't really see on the screen and yeah you know I, i do feel bad for them as well where it's like they're hunted down by the government and they're also being hunted down by this other militant group it's you know for for a group of just you know theater members turned fighters now only by necessity it's just the circumstances you you have to feel bad you do um and and so halen admits that they are protesting the treaty which seems kind of suspect until she breaks down what it really means but before we get to that they are talking about you know qui-gon's asking if they've noticed any patterns in the attacks from this other group the, the boys in black, I'll, I'll call them, with a Z, boys with a Z. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and is, until then, Halen has told them that they hadn't attacked any of the palace ships until Obi-Wan ships and that they actually have tried to assassinate Princess Fannery twice now. And the initial reaction here that we get from the opposition is dismay, which instantly kind of makes us wonder, okay, wait, why are they upset at this? You know, we... we you know, if they're opposing the treaty, you know, wouldn't they want Fannery in some way out of the picture? Right. Um, but we have this moment where Qui-Gon's thinking to himself, okay, you don't seem like monarchists, but you're also against the treaty. You know, what's going on? And I just have this quote here. It says from the from the text, quote, Halen sat up straighter, a glimmer of something like hope in her eyes. Qui-Gon wondered how long she'd been waiting for someone to ask for her side of the story or for someone who might be willing to believe it. And I think in this moment, we see the small things go a long way, even if it's just listening to someone, even if it's just hearing their their side of the story, of hearing them out, of giving them your attention, and Qui-Gon knows how to do it here. Yeah, he's like perfect at handling the situation, honestly. It's like, it was impressive reading this just to see how he knew like how to identify what was going on without actually really taking action towards anything. That I, I love how you said that because it, it is a pattern that's been kind of identified by by Obi-Wan in the book before where Qui-Gon manages to say a lot without actually exactly. doing much or without actually saying much. That's a really great note there. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's consistent with, with who we've come to or what we've come to expect from Qui-Gon. That is a really great point. And, you know, even if it's just 
asking for their side of things, uh, for their point of view on things. That, that's a really great point. But here we get into kind of like the nerf meat and pork potatoes of, of the governance treaty and the reality of it. And the first thing is that it seems sketchy because the treaty is not giving the lunar citizens fair representation, where Halen is saying, quote, there's only token representation for the citizens of Pijal's moon, even though we're a solid quarter of the system population, to which I was thinking, wait, Washington, D.C.? Like, where are you at? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Face Washington, D.C. is Pijal's moon. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) And, you know, they're, they're wondering why this would possibly be the case, and it's just one word, Zerka, where they've noticed the work that Zerka is doing on the moon, literally destroying and tearing apart the moon's environment for the sake of their mining operations. Right. So it would make sense to give less of a voice to the moon's population so no one... Because they actually actually know what's going on. Exactly. That, you know, no one needs to know what's actually happening up there. And I was kind of thinking that Zerka might be kind of hippies, like, you know, ruining worlds before the Empire thought it was cool. (laughs) Yeah. They started the trend. (laughs) Not the trend that we would want to see. No. And I've got to stop you right there, Past Andrew. Hey, listeners, this is Editing Andrew. In the words of our editor, Connor, it seems Past Andrew had a malfunction here. What he was trying to say is that Zerka could be the hipsters of ruining worlds, not hippies. I've got to bail Past Andrew out again. I just wanted to clarify that he does not, in fact, believe that hippies ruin worlds like Zerka or the Empire do. Chloe got what he meant, though, and thankfully didn't roast him on the spot for his slip-up. At this rate, I might have to send past Andrew in for maintenance. Anyway, with that clarification made, let's get back to the show. (laughs) Uh, That's only the kind of like scratching the surface of it here where the horrifying truth of it all is revealed by Halen and kind of put together by Obi-Wan next, where the long and short of it uh, was, and this was kind of took me a while to really condense this, where it's like we know what happens, but without me reading straight from the text. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But basically, the treaty gives the kind of like the the democratic assembly that would be formed by the treaty, the power to renew contracts with the privatized industries and the, the, the land that they use on Pijal. And quote, this shall be preserved as the sun preserves the moon, which is Pijali, which is a Pijali phrase meaning pretty much forever. So while the assembly has the power to renew the contracts, it doesn't have the power to cancel them, which seems fine and all, until we realize that all of these contracts are going to Zerka, and kind of like one of the ways they use their power is through slavery. And we find out here a, really a disturbing truth that Rail gave the Zerka Corporation control over the penal system of the planet, where they can literally just punish as many crimes as they want with slavery. Yeah. And so kind of like the big takeaway, and then I can, uh, I'll, you know, kind of leave it to your thoughts that Zerka would be permanently on Pijal, pretty much codified into law, codified into law, and they would be able to enslave so many more people through the penal system forever. Yeah, I mean, reading this, I was just like, oh my god, this is such a mess. I was like, how how is this even going to get resolved? Like, I was just honestly kind of overwhelmed because I feel like I had like a weird feeling about Rail from the beginning just because Mm. of like the way the book introduces him, but I didn't imagine that it would be like this large of a problem with yeah, everything we, yeah we've never really it's tough because we've never we've never really gotten any sign that he is a malicious person right but it really just you know and Qui-Gon's just as confused as we are right because he 
he has that like section where he talks about like he never imagined an ethical failure as great which like i don't know that it's like a great way to describe it because i feel like qui-gon already had questions about his ethics based on you know what they explain mm. about like his background but then this was kind of just like the final blow like that finality that like yeah his ethics are just gone i think at this point yeah and maybe he doesn't realize it yeah. to some extent to right. some extent um because in his eyes, you know, any kind of questioning of the treaty, because because Halen says they have tried to talk to Rail about modifying the treaty. Exactly. But in Rail's eyes, any chance of, you know, arguing against the treaty is arguing against Fanry in his mind. Right. And he needs Zerka around because they have a lot of power that they use to support her. And, you know, Qui-Gon kind of sums it up very well in this quote from the text. He's thinking, quote, Rail was fighting so hard to protect Fanry to make up for failing Nim that he was instead failing an entire system. That's like, it describes the whole thing in like one... Yeah, in, 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 one, in one thought, you know, where Rail's intentions are in the right place. You know, yes. He's trying to help Fanry. He's trying to make up for the horrible mistake of what happened on yeah. the event with Nim. But it's like he's got blinders on he his own eyes. He can't even see and, what's and, happening. Exactly. It's just, you know, where he might not be meaning it, but he can't see exactly what he's doing and to realize what's going on. It's it's really a bombshell here where instantly we're, we're caused to question Rail further, but then we're just realizing how bad backwards and how how wrong we've got this whole situation until this point in the book it's just it's a stunning turn of events i I was just sitting there and i was like how did i manage to be this confused about it like i just i I was just like sitting there i was like i i don't even know i don't know what's happening and and who would have thought that you know what it takes to to see what's really going on is listening to the very same group who you've been labeling as the right. other side. And and maybe there's a lesson there. You know, I think so. so. <laughs> it could be a, a deeper conversation maybe for, for another time. And, and, yes. Uh, <laughs> hearing the other out um, <laughs> before jumping <laughs> to any conclusions. Um, but um, the kind of the chapter closes with them kind of thinking again back to the purpose of this other group where Qui-Gon's thinking maybe if they try to delay or cancel the treaty they might be able to learn a lot more about the group since they've pretty much been identified to to want to fight against the treaty so um, Halen mentions that they've also been raiding caves on the moon but they just don't know why and it stays a mystery we don't know who they are where they've come from you know we know some of what they want but not really but honestly what a huge chapter we're coming so uh, many bombshells yeah, yeah it's so many bombshells do you have any closing thoughts on everything that we've talked about with chapter 22 you know i have to say after reading this chapter i thought i was like okay i didn't understand anything up until this point but i feel like now i kind of see what's happening and then like obviously as time went on i realized that i still did not understand what was happening until i finished the book <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of a pattern in this book where for every answer we have there's like two new questions it's uh, like a Pandora's kind of, box thing. Exactly. It's like just this big old hydra that Claudia has created. Exactly. Um, <laughs> call back to the Hercules movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that ends chapter 22. I can give my summary for 23 and then we can dive right into that one. Okay. Aboard the Merricks, Pax and Rahara anxiously await the return of the Jedi. Upon Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's arrival back to the ship, the two Jedi informed the Jewel Thieves of everything that transpired with the opposition. The four of them discuss what could possibly be powering the black-clad soldiers' shields, and Obi-Wan hypothesizes that they might be powered by colon crystals. 
they then wonder at the purpose of the creation of such equipment. Rahara remains very troubled at the implication of an internal Zerka presence on Pijal. She and Qui-Gon discuss the realities of slavery in the Republic and how, despite the practice being outlawed, the government doesn't enforce the law as much as it should. Afterward, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan talk about the Jedi Master's dream regarding Fanry's coronation. The two Jedi resolve that there may be a deeper meaning that the Force might be trying to communicate to Qui-Gon. The punches continue to land from Claudia moving into this chapter. We get some pretty heavy discussion about the state of the galaxy and, and slavery uh, in the Republic. We get some questions about, you know, the purpose of colon crystals. What were your general thoughts and impressions on chapter 23? This one kind of took me a long time to get through, I think, just because there was so much information packed into like literally every second of it. Not that the other chapters weren't like that, but it was just so much to digest in terms of like the plot and like there was a lot of character development in this chapter. Yeah, for sure. And I, I love especially the interaction we get between Qui-Gon and Rahara. It's I think amazing. Oh, for sure. And I I, I love love just the kind of like the gradual exposition of her character as the book moves on. I've really been impressed with the character of Rahara Wick. Yes. Um, I'm, I wish more people have read Master and Apprentice to appreciate just how amazing she is. Like as far, if I'm talking about some of my favorite female characters in Star Wars, I think she's got to be up there. Oh, I, no, I think she, she deserves to it. She totally deserves it. Like, honestly, she's such an underrated character. I think if more people understood more about her character or even, like, knew her character in the case of reading the book, I think she would definitely be talked about a lot more. Yeah, I, I do hope. Actually, I, I don't know if I hope or not. Um, for <laughs> If there's some kind of screen adaptation of this story, I feel like... Oh, my God, I would watch it the minute it came out. <laughs> like, give it to me, please. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I feel like kind of the pitfalls of Star Wars books in general is that when we're talking talking about the percentage of the fandom who read them yeah. compared to the percentage that really attend just like the shows and the movies. Right. It's just not there, which is a shame when we get characters like even Rail. He's very complex. You know, oh, I love his character. Of, yeah. Uh, and and then Rahara here, it's like, ugh, it, it makes me a little bit, uh, a little sad at, at the reality of things. I know. And it's hard too, because like, you know, with the shows, it's like if you have the subscription, you can watch all of it. But then with the books, you have to purchase all the books. So it's like a different, it can For be sure. expensive. So yeah, <laughs> that's definitely <laughs> sure. slowed me down a bit. Yeah, that that is one of the drawbacks, I will, I will admit, especially because I try to get the hardcover um, oh, just because yeah. it's easier for me to, to write in. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Um, but in this chapter, uh, it, it starts out, you know, aboard the Merricks with Rahara's point of view here, and they're they're waiting for the Jedi, and Pax is doing what Pax always does and is <laughs> complaining, uh, you know, you know, maybe validly, you know, they've been worrying about the Jedi this whole time, and then, you know, if they've died and if they'll be connected to the deaths of two Jedi, um, but, you know, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan call in and say, you know, hey, we're cool, and Pax starts to complain, like, oh, so they just left us worrying, and Rahara shuts him up, which... You know, she's so good at doing that. I know. <laughs> Just because he keeps going all the time. And so it's exa it's exhausting. I don't know how she has remained his partner <laughs> for all this time. I think the bad thing reading this is like, I relate to Pax. I can be like that annoying. I'm like a robot <laughs> sometimes. I can be like that. Who's actually being engineered here? Are you doing the engineering or are you being engineered into a robot? I, I think know. engineering <laughs> itself is engineering me to becoming robotic. That's my theory. <laughs> you are Pax. You are a protocol droid. Um, yes. <laughs> 
uh, I love this bit when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan show up and Rahara is asking, quote, how did you guys get out of that one? Often I have to ask myself that question, Qui-Gon said. This time we were saved from one paramilitary organization by another secret organization. And I just, this story just gets wilder with every day that passes where it's like they're working with not only thieves, but jewel thieves specifically. And yeah. then they're being saved from from one secret organization by another one. It's like, you just, you can't make this up. It's just wild. <laughs> There's this moment from Pax here where, you know, he's asking if the Jedi would be able to tell them, okay, well, what happened? And then Qui-Gon starts to tell him, <laughs> and then Pax starts complaining about I Qui-Gon. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I love this quote from Rahara. She's, she's thinking to herself, quote, Apparently, protocol droids complained every other sentence, which she figured was the reason Pax did the same, but that didn't mean Rahara had to like it. <laughs> Pax, you literally just asked the man for information. <laughs> oh, I could reread that over and over again. It's so funny to me. I wonder if, do you think Claudia is kind of doing like a callback to literally just every scene of C-3PO? <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah. I do. Just complaining every, you know, every other, every other word, except I will say that in The Rise of Skywalker, he was the star of the movie. I will yes, say. Uh, <laughs> definitely. We have respect for him in The Rise of Skywalker, but, you know, prior to that, um, some annoyances. Exactly. There is an interesting kind of end to this scene because, you know, throughout this book, Pax has been rather unlikable, maybe just annoying. Uh, we know where he's come from, you know, his the tragic past, but, you know, he's still a very hard to like um, but there's this, this end here where he's he's telling Qui-Gon, quote, I didn't ask to opine upon it. And Qui-Gon says, forgive me, but I'd suspect you'd share your opinion on this topic or any other topic, whether we asked for it or not. And slowly, Pax began to smile. When people punctured his vanity, he began to respect them. Rather perceptive of you. And I'm thinking, is this a turning point? <laughs> yeah, right. I have to admit, I honestly, I kind of liked his character from the beginning. Maybe that's just like my annoying personality I speaking for itself. But like, <laughs> I was reading it and I was like, yeah, I feel like this is what I do to people sometimes. Not intentionally, <laughs> but like sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You know, we. I think. I think you might be the maybe the first guest this season who's actually kind of like been on Team Packs, which I'm here for. <laughs> I you know, need more of that. <laughs> no, I can be so like that. That when it comes to like anything that has to do with chemistry, I'm so annoying, and like I'm the first person to admit it. I'll just go off on a tangent for five minutes explaining why you should do it exactly like this protocol and like you know <laughs> i have to stop myself you said it there protocol which i think the <laughs> the underlying protocol droidness is is kind of trying to break through <laughs> yeah <it> really is <laughs> and so qui-gon has told them what's happened um and he's noticing that pax looks very curious but that rahara seems to have withdrawn a bit and which is understandable yeah. given her past um, but first they talk about the shields and, you know, Obi-Wan's thinking that, you know, maybe colon crystals might be, pow might be powering them. And Pax is saying, you know, because Obi-Wan's asking him, is this even possible? And Pax says, quote, not that I've heard of, though it's an interesting concept. Hmm. Must consider. And I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, P-3PO. <laughs> he sounds like a robot. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> He's literally like, he could have said, I'll think about it. Oh, like, I'll get back to you later. Just but completely like, obliterates half the sentence. <laughs> half the sentence is gone. Just announce your intention. Move on. I mean, so you're saying that he did the right thing here. <laughs> I mean, I think, well, I mean, even in my education, like, we're always just told with technical writing, they're just like, get to the point, get to the point, yeah. get to the yeah, point. Yeah, that's true. 
in every presentation that I've had to do, like even like with my upper level labs, that's literally all they ever tell us. So, you know, honestly, he's not that far off. He'd probably be better at my degree than I am. So <laughs> Pax is an engineering uh, major as well. Um, yes. Engineering student, engineering major. Um, <laughs> Secretly. Uh, <laughs> and there's this interesting part when they're kind of wondering why why this group might be trying to create these shields that are impervious to lightsabers and pax is thinking pretty aptly and correctly that they're trying they probably are trying to distribute them which could have dangerous implications and uh, obi-wan says here you know because he's saying you know we don't need lightsabers because we have the force and he says Quote, with the Force as our ally, we're always strong. True, Padawan. Unfortunately, it's also true that you and I wound up cornered today with no way out. We survived only because the opposition intervened. Some Jedi become complacent, even arrogant, about the power the Force gives us. That power is great and profound, but it is not absolute. Never forget that. And my question to you, how many Jedi would have the humility to admit that? You know, that's a really, really hard question to answer because I don't think <laughs> off the top of my head I can really think of anything. Honestly, when I read this, like, I was just in my head. I was like, <clears throat> Anakin. <clears throat> <laughs> like, it just gave me so many callbacks to, like, the end of Revenge of the Sith, the whole, like, discussion on Mustafar. I was like, I feel like yeah. this is just some nice, like, foreshadowing here. And speaking of foreshadowing, you know, I wonder at this next bit as well, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up Revenge of the Sith, because I kind of thought about a connection here where Obi-Wan's saying, quote, I can't see the point of attempting to distribute a weapon that only works against the Jedi, but doesn't provide that much of an advantage against the Jedi either. And I thought, is this a little, maybe not foreshadowing, but is this like a teaser at kind of the concept of Order 66, where, you know, they're thinking about this weapon that could only work against the Jedi. And I was like, imagine yeah. if the clones had these shields, you know? Oh my was, god. Like, when he when he mentioned, you know, something that is specifically targeting Jedi, I was like, Claudia, are you are you trying to are you trying to hint at Order 66? Yeah, I know. It's like, it's an interesting thing to think about. But it's, I guess Obi-Wan does have a point where it's really these shields are just defensive, like not necessarily a weapon against the Jedi, but yeah. it was still interesting there where it's like, ah, it, it just, it makes you think about, you know, when everything was kind of turned specifically against the Jedi. Exactly. Yeah. But um, Rahara, you know, in this next part of the chapter, Rahara talks about, you know, her anger with the Zerka Corporation and, and trying to really perpetuate eternally slavery, you know, where even Pax realizes that something's, something's wrong here. Like she is, her, her like, I think Qui-Gon can feel her anger, like through the force, which is, yes. you know, that's when you know. But we get this interesting moment where Pax says, quote, what is it? He said, his voice startlingly gentle, Rahara. And I'm thinking, or just reading that sentence alone, he cares for her. Like, just admit it. Just give us what we want, Pax. I was like, wait, is this the same character? <laughs> Like, it just, it was so out of character for him. Honestly, the beginning of that paragraph was hilarious, though, because when Qui-Gon was saying he was deeply force-blind, I just had to try not oh, to you're laugh right. when I was reading it. <laughs> I totally, I totally missed that part. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, deeply, more deeply force-blind than almost any other human. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I wonder if, are there like vision tests for the force? Like, you know, or kind of like tests, like, you know, how force blind are you? Like on yeah. a scale kind of? 
I feel like I can uh, be like that sometimes. <laughs> just caught up in the engineering and the tie defender. It's like forgetting about the force like, out here. Just don't like... remember these things called emotions. They don't exist. Like we just follow the <laughs> schedule. Always follow the same schedule. Stay on schedule. It's the only thing. Engineering's winning. It, it's winning. <laughs> I know. It's a losing Stay battle. Stay on target. <laughs> and we get into this kind of really deep discussion here where Rahara's asking a really tough question where even though slavery is outlawed in the Republic, why doesn't the Republic crack down more? Like, you know, why don't they enforce the law more? And Qui-Gon's response with Rahara's answer to this, kind of like the way she claps back again, I'd love your thoughts on because Qui-Gon says, quote, the Jedi don't make the Republic do anything. We serve the Republic, not the other way around. But as to why the Republic doesn't act, I have no good answer for you. Rahara wiped her cheek roughly with the back of one hand. If the Republic can't do something as decent and basic as attack slavery, why do we have a Republic to begin with? What did you think about that? Oh my god. Okay, so this was like, I feel like this was probably a turning point for Qui-Gon with his decision about the council thing. Because I feel like, especially from like their position on Coruscant, they didn't really end up seeing these things and like having this kind of realization that like maybe the place that you work for that you serve isn't really upholding like the ideals and morals that you have like I feel like that would just be a big turning point in like whether you want to represent them or not and Qui-Gon yeah. always appeared kind of distanced from like the government side of things at least in the way that he's presented in this book so I felt like it was kind of the perfect like point for his character like it was the perfect conversation to like introduce that point in I, I like how you connected that to maybe this like the turning point for his decision with the council because you know me personally like reading through these chapters I've kind of forgotten that offer is still a thing. Oh, that's stuff. <laughs> I figured the whole given... book. I couldn't stop thinking about it. <laughs> just get, I don't like, know why so that has happened. <laughs> but it, it's a fair question. Like, what do you do? You know, what happens when like the governing body you serve is corrupt? Like, yeah, it it makes me wonder. You know, kind of like the, the controversy, you know, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, where, you know, from the narrative that Palpatine was trying to, you know, kind of propagate was that the Jedi were trying to take power, you know, trying, right. to, take, trying to take over. I'm wondering here, in some cases, would that be a bad thing? Uh, I, it it yeah. just makes you wonder. I don't know. I mean, I think it, it depends a lot on who would have been on the council and how they would have mm. decided to, like, distribute the tasks and who got to make the decisions but yeah. and you know even there are some you know some figures who aren't on the council that i think really should be you know oh um, yeah lots of those <laughs> like like qui-gon you know kanan yes. uh, you know plo plo is there you know we we love right plo. um <laughs> but you know as far as the other voices it, it does seem like they're very you know they're, they're too bought into right uh, you know, making sure that they are just serving the Republic. And, you know, I, I do wonder how many of them see, like how many of the Jedi see what's going on and that they're just resigned to it. You know, if there's nothing they can do about it. Right. It, it's such a tricky situation. Yeah, it's like, it's a question of like, do they know and they just don't speak out about it because they don't want to lose their standing or do they just have no idea and like this like whole council and like order of the Jedi that's so well respected just is like in the dark like it's really hard to tell you know with someone like Yoda in charge where I would have to think 
they can see what's happening. Yeah. But they're so bound by their conception. Like, we're not supposed to have power here. We're just doing what we're told. Yeah. You know, to a point, it's like the soldiers following, you know, good soldiers follow orders. Yeah. It's like, well, what happens when the orders are... It's like you become complacent to whatever you're told to do. Exactly. And I, I know that neither you or I have the the answer to exactly, you know, the, the best way for this to happen. It's just so many layers have shown themselves in just a matter of a couple of paragraphs. It's good writing, but then it also kind of just expands our view of the realities, the unfortunate realities, including the realities of the Jedi Order and their relationship with the Republic. Because I feel like everybody always thinks like, oh, during the Republic, everything was great. And then, you know, we went to the Empire and then it was not. But then like this kind of shows that like it wasn't so great before either. Like obviously the Empire was not a good thing to happen, but like Mm. we weren't in such a place of good standing like a lot of people view it i like how you kind of brought it brought the empire into the conversation here that's kind of like a thread that connects my next point where qui-gon's thinking about the concept of enslavement in the galaxy where he's thinking to himself in in a very kind of thrawn like internal monologue here where some planets had never operated under any other kind of labor force, like other than, you know, using slaves since like the beginning of their cultures where some species even view slavery in different ways. He's thinking about this, uh, this insectoid race called the Tzaki, where, you know, they're, they're a hive mind and in their language, freedom translates to purposelessness where, you know, it's, there's this relative sense where you know, to some cultures, is slavery that bad? No. Yeah, like they have but, a negative connotation of freedom, whereas like the typically mm-hmm. regarded point of view is the opposite. And it's, you know, I guess this is where kind of the concept of democracy comes in, where it's like the majority yeah. views slavery. And, and you know, from, from my point of view, and <laughs> rightfully so, as, as terrible. You know, right. Where like the fact of the matter is that for a lot of people, slavery is painful, it's corrupt, and it just this this line of thinking where he's thinking about both sides here of really all sides of this argument. It reminded me of something Thrawn said to Eli Vanto when he was talking about the Wookiee slaves uh, to the Empire, where he said, "Quote: Terms are not always as they seem, Commander." Thrawn said, "They are called slaves, but they may in fact be indentured servants." They may be prisoners working off their sentence. They may have sold themselves into slavery as a means of repaying debts to others. I have seen all those situations at times. And both he and Qui-Gon are making good points. You know, they're looking at all the angles, but the fact remains. The, the truth remains for millions of people in the galaxy that it's just, it's not the way right. at all. And Qui-Gon, kind of in the closing of this scene, he he's thinking to himself, quote, this rot has been festering within us from the beginning. And was that something he had the power to change? And I guess this, you know, kind of ties in what we were talking about earlier with the Jedi and the Republic. Yeah. Um, you know, if enough of them have realized this rot has been festering, do you think that they could do anything about it? You know, e- even if they know what's happening, do you think there would be an avenue for them to create change? Or is this just the way things are? Yeah. Like, you know, do they have the power to do... Like, they have a lot of power for their own purposes or for whatever they're told to do, but, like, to speak against the Republic or to try to get voices to speak against it, 
like do they have the power for that it's just it's an interesting kind of thought process yeah if they would use it if they realized right. they had it we you know jedi in power you know <laughs> right <laughs> it's a tricky conversation yeah and uh, and that's how the scene ends with uh and the chapter ends on the jedi ship we're now in obi-wan's perspective and and qui-gon's asking him about you know trying to engage with him again about the dream he had and and obi-wan must have had a change of heart from earlier because this time he's like he's determined to listen which i was like we got progress this is yeah good. <laughs> i was like wow he's receptive he's not just like you know go away go away i don't care <laughs> it's like you know some some small steps have been taken where it's you know kind of like round two of the situation from when yeah. they were arriving to the moon and this time he's like you know i know i don't agree with him about prophecies but i want to hear what he has to say which i'm like this is a start this is what we want <laughs> it's a good start but the long and short of this scene is qui-gon is trying to like interpret his dream symbolically yeah um and trying to find the deeper meaning and he's thinking he's telling to obi-wan quote a vision of my lightsaber brought up as though to block an attack but maybe it was the treaty itself i was meant to be blocking and i was like this reminds me of high school poetry analysis so much <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I forgot that I had to do that in high school. Oh my gosh. I know. It's like, you know, is the blue truck we're reading about actually a blue truck? Or Reminds is it me of something doing internal? like the keynotes and like the annotations and stuff like that. It's just, it couldn't mean anything. It's like, is there, a, is there ever a right answer here? And I, you know, nope. I don't know. <laughs> But that's how this chapter ends, where Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are, are kind of, they re they've resolved that there is a deeper message here, and Qui-Gon is going to try to decipher it. And that's how the chapter ends. Chloe, do you have any closing thoughts on chapter 23 before we talk about this interesting flashback next? Um, yeah, I guess my closing thoughts were just kind of like the discussion about the vision. I was just even more confused at this point when I was reading it, because I was like, okay, so he's thinking it's a vision from the forest, but then Obi-Wan doesn't really like the idea of it at all. Like, I just didn't anticipate, I think, that Obi-Wan would be so closed off to the whole, like, prophecy thing as described in this book based on how the events of the movies and Clone Wars tend to play out. That is true. Uh, I guess because I guess by the time at least that Revenge of the Sith hits, or maybe even before that, you know, he's more or less, like, bought into the Chosen One prophecy. Yeah. And so, like, what, you know, because here in this book so far, and, and, you know, even in this chapter where he's thinking to himself, you know, I don't really agree with him on prophecies, you know, in this book, he is staunchly just, like, anti-prophecy. for it. it. It's, that's a great point, because I, you know, I'm not as brushed up with the Clone Wars as I probably should be. Um, oh, same. Honestly, I need to start a full <laughs> rewatch. Like, I talk about it all the time, but there's so much more that I could be talking about, I feel like. I mean, but it's important, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's, uh, it's soon, soon. It, we'll, we'll all probably try to find time to get to the things we actually want to rewatch eventually. But yeah. Um, I, I do wonder, and maybe I'll be paying closer attention to, you know, what might have changed for Obi-Wan, because it's pretty much a 180. <laughs> it's like a full 180 from, like, and especially because, like, Obi-Wan was kind of paying paying attention to, like, the politics and the treaty here, too, and, like, you know, everybody makes fun of the quote where he says, like, oh, politics isn't for me, like, that type of yeah. thing. So it's, like, a complete, like, I'm like, wow, is this, like, the same character? I don't even know. I mean, because we already know that uh, in the movies, he absolutely hated flying, but in this book, he loved yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like everything's completely different. 
It's like, and, and that was one of my impressions when I came into the, I, th- I admit the first time I read this book, I was not really a fan of this kind of version of younger Obi-Wan. I know, I, I, I kind of was like, wait, I don't like him. I know, it's like, I, you know, we all <laughs> love Obi-Wan and, and yeah. now he's, he's just pretty much a petulant teenager. It's like, yeah. Wait, really? <laughs> I'm like, wait, how do we get from like point A to point like F over here? <laughs> <laughs> we're on the other side of the like we're, we're looking at different alphabets here um yeah but then like i can relate to that because i mean i've changed so much even like in the last five years so you know it's understandable it's just i feel like when it, we're talking about other characters that are so well established you just don't anticipate it yeah because we you know we have all of our preconceptions uh already set in stone by the time we're you know and when we're introduced to something that kind of reverses our expectations especially with a character as huge as obi-wan yeah. it's like what <laughs> you're like uh, i gotta stop i gotta read this again like make sure i'm reading it right <laughs> but I guess, you know, as I've discussed this book with, you know, every every guest on the season so far, it's like we can see where he's coming from. So it's and, and you know, we were all annoying teenagers at one point. Um, yes. So it's like it is relatable, but we just forget that even characters like Obi-Wan and Kenobi uh, <laughs> were in those shoes at one point. Uh, so, yeah. But I, I love, you know, how, how you mentioned where, like with prophecies, he's totally on the other side of where he was in the movies uh, and the show. Uh, I, I hadn't thought about that point. I'd really just been so focused on his complete 180 about flying where I forgot. Like, <laughs> yeah, he actually was bought into the prophecy, at least the prophecy of the chosen one at one point. So yeah. it's like, that is a, a good observation to notice just how much of a shift he ends up going through one way or another. Thank you. And so we get to this flashback scene. We are back with Young Gun. Uh, he's in Dooku's quarters, and the flashback starts off, quote, Qui-Gon sat in Dooku's quarters, alone in the dark, except for the light of the holocron. The prophecies had become nearly an obsession with him. And I'm getting two vibes here. I'm getting, again, Mirror of Erised vibes, where it's like Harry would spend, you yeah. know, the, the, the waning hours of the night just sitting in front of this thing. And I also got vibes of, like, where we all used to play the Nintendo DS, like, past our bedtime, just, like, Mario you know, in the Kart. dark. Just like... <laughs> Who is your go-to character? Toadette, always. Oh, really? Okay, okay. I was, like, always a Mario dude. Like, just basic. <laughs> yeah, no, I was always Toadette. Like, the minute I even, like, looked up all the, like, hacks and cheats, and, like, I played it for hours. Like, I oh knew God. the back pads. Like, I mean, I was, like, I can still beat, like, anybody at it. Like, I went to college for the first time, and my friends were like, hey, we have Mario Kart. Do you want to play? Like, I'm good at it. And I was like, yeah, sure. And, like, they didn't want to play with me after that, so. <laughs> I don't think I've ever... <laughs> I don't think I've ever met like a hardcore Mario Kart player. Like all the extra work you did. <laughs> no, I used to play like the tournaments and stuff and like rank well. And like it was like a whole thing for me. You were an internationally ranked Mario Kart player. How do you feel? <laughs> um, it's my life achievement. I'm just coming down from that peak at this point, you know. <laughs> and then you're going to return to that peak when you build your Tide Defender and fly to that Mario Kart peak. It's it's like, oh, yeah. still a few hundred feet up <laughs> oh, yeah no i mean like me and like coconut mall like that was my thing <laughs> i feel like more people need to know about this <laughs> i'm just gonna start a separate stand account for mario kart stuff i don't think anybody's gonna follow it but and so dooku returns to his quarters and qui-gon instantly realizes that he's made a mistake here by bringing this thing in to study <laughs> and dooku says quote what 
Dooku said, pronouncing every word distinctly, is the meaning of this. That was my Severus Snape impression, because that's exactly how I read it. (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) Alan Rickman, where are you at? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Just like, I got such Snape vibes, like, Potter, what are you doing? Exactly. (laughs) and it's interesting because although Dooku is like outwardly disappointed at Qui-Gon, we can gather that there's something more that he knows about them where he's saying, you know, quote, your teachers don't know the prophecies as I do. They haven't studied them as I have. They cannot know the risks. Or if I were to read that like Alan Rickman, your teachers do not know the prophecies as I do. (laughs) 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 They haven't studied them as I have. They cannot know the risks. And I was like, like, it's, I, that is so bad. Um, that was the first time I've ever tried that. Um, it was great. You need to include <laughs> I'm that. I'm like parched and, <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me wonder because it seems like the common knowledge in the Jedi, like in the Jedi is that they know that trying to glimpse and or like take control of the future can lead to darkness. So like, yeah. what else could he be referring to when he knows even more than that? What did you think about that? I was honestly, this whole thing was kind of like surprising to me because I assumed when he was studying the holocrons that there would be a lot of support for that because like we see them a lot in Clone Wars. Like they're very like readily discussed, readily accessed. Like, you know, we see a lot of our favorite characters like using them. So I was kind of like, wow, like this is a complete shift from like what I thought they were treated like. And then especially when Dooku was kind of showing that he had that knowledge, it kind of just like enhanced like in my mind, I guess I have, like, this kind of, like, vision of him just, like, distance from the rest of the Jedi, even though he was yeah. part of them, like, his morals were just very separated from theirs. Yeah. Like, there's some shared, but, like, he had his own personal ideals that he followed, like, to their True. own end. So then that yeah. was kind of just, like, the confirmation of that, I guess, when I was reading this. Yeah, I think there there is more to be learned about it, but it's, like, it's, you know, we I, I wonder if, you know, like you're saying, how he was very divergent from the Jedi kind of like beliefs in, in some in, in some or many regards. And I wonder if with the prophecies, if he's on the opposite end of them or if he's further down the path than them. Right. And he, uh, you know, Yungan is uh, kind of like ashamed and he's saying that he promises he won't look at the Holocron anymore as long as he's Dooku's Padawan, which, you know, he admits he might return to them if he's still interested afterwards. And Dooku says, you know, in his best Yoda impression, I guess, you know, you will be. It reminded me of like, you will be. Yeah. You will be. <laughs> that whole thing just reminded me of like, you know, when your parents tell you, like, you need to stop doing this every hour of the day. And you're just like, well, when I don't live here, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. When I have my own house, I'm going to eat Pop-Tarts every meal of the day, mom. <laughs> that was me the minute I went to college. <laughs> Honestly, same. <laughs> I think my record was like three in one day, which isn't that impressive. But, you know, for somebody yeah, who'd like say. never eaten one before, it was impressive. So. Okay. You know, you, you, you took the first steps. You took your first steps into a a larger world <laughs> yeah i just expanded my territory there that night though it's uh, we can kind of tell that this is becoming a very unhealthy obsession for qui-gon for young gun because he literally couldn't fall asleep because he was just thinking about the holocron yeah and i was like all right man like if you're losing sleep over it uh, it's not not great not great i was like uh like, this is literally philosopher's stone this is <laughs> i know <laughs> In every book ever, if something starts to take over your mind like that, you know, you got to distance yourself from it because that's just, you know, you don't want to be the main character in that story. Exactly. I mean, but then we know how Qui-Gon's turned out where it's like, you know, what, 30 something years down the line, he's still, he's still going strong. (laughs) Paid off, but. 
Yeah, sure, 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 sure. The flashback ends on kind of a twist, though, when he arrives to Dooku's quarters for his assignments, and there Dooku is sitting with the holocron. And he's telling young Gan that if he's going to be studying them anyway, he might as well have someone to guide him through it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is where it really begins. Like, this yeah. is it. And that's how the flashback ends, and that's how this episode ends. Chloe, there's been <laughs> a lot to discuss, uh, a very interesting point with Young Gan um, to, to end it on, especially with Dooku kind of taking him, beginning to take him under his holocron wing. Do you have any closing thoughts on what we've discussed today? I mean, I think my biggest takeaways from this, like, especially towards Qui-Gon's character, were kind of like the turning point in his decision about the council when he found out about everything that was going on with the treaty. And then also, I don't know, this might be just really out there, but when I was kind of reading about him learning about the slavery and like Rahara's experience, I was like, I wonder how that influenced him when he took Anakin out of slavery later down the line. Like, yeah. how did, like, did that mental shift kind of influence how he ended up thinking about that, like in the um, events of the Phantom Menace? So that that's was a really, my yeah, that's, I, I like that connection where, you know, we know in this book that he doesn't like slavery, you know, yeah. he, <laughs> he, he, he is against slavery, but oftentimes early in the book, he's wondered, and, and in this chapter as well, he's wondered, can he actually change anything? You know, can he, can he, or does he have the power to change anything? Right. And I like how you connected it there where in the Phantom Menace, did he abolish the institution of slavery in, in the Republic? No. But did he, did he still play a part, you know, even as small as, as it was with just freeing one person and trying to free Shmi as well? Yeah. You know, but even if he did just free two people, it just shows that, any kind of change against such an evil institution, it it, it can be, you know, it, it's it's a start. It, it's something. It's yeah. something. You have to do something, I think. Like, I just thought it was an interesting connection. And it kind of fits with his personality, too, where even if there wasn't something large he could do, he would still take the small action because he always pretty much follows what he thinks is morally right. Yeah. I, I like how you, you know, you're, you're saying that he would still take the small actions because that's what he's done time and time again in this book. You know, even yeah. if it's after cutting down a tree, apologizing to the tree and kind of easing it to death gently or, you know, just the, even if it's calling a slave aboard a Zerka ship by, by, by name or yeah. recognizing that they have a name, um, it, it's the small things. And I think that in a large way, you know, the small things in in a big way, sum up the character of, of Qui-Gon Jinn. I think they do. It's, uh, you know, it, you don't have to create shockwaves in the galaxy as long as you're doing good where you can. Uh, yeah. I think he embodies that. I think Rahara embodies that. Yes. Obi-Wan ends up embodying that you right. know, as he becomes more mature. Uh, it's just a fantastic set of characters and maybe Paxwell as well. Uh, you know, we're <laughs> seeing him start to turn a corner. You know, we see that he does care for Rahara and... You know, there was even that time when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon jumped into their camp and, you know, drawn lightsabers and Pax was about to take them on to protect Rahara. So we yeah. know that, you know, he's capable of... He has really potential to break the protocol. It's just, you know, he has to start by breaking small protocols one at a time. Yeah. Do, do you think he will? Do you think he will? As a, as, a, as a prediction for as this book goes on, do you think he will? I think he'll be able to. It might be a rough adjustment and we might see some outlash from the character but i think he will be able to make some changes there yeah uh, i i would hope so um uh, you know but regardless we 
have a brilliant cast of characters in Absolutely. these two pairs. Um, but that is how, yeah, that's how this episode ends. Chloe, thank you so much for coming on to talk about some Master and Apprentice. If the listeners wanted to find you and your work on the internet, could you tell them where they could do so? Yes, I think as of right now, the best place to find me is on Twitter, at LightsaberQueen, minus the E in Lightsaber. And I do also have a podcast, but it's currently kind of under construction, and I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing with it, but there are two episodes up. It's called Galaxy Gossip, and you can find it wherever podcasts are available. Listeners, I will post some links to Chloe's work on her social media in the episode description. Honestly, I, I do have to say, and I've told you this on the on the timeline before, um, you know, definitely one of the people you want to see on the timeline. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Thank just, you. Uh, making some connection with your Twitter activity with Qui-Gon's personality here, where, you know, we're talking about the small moments with Qui-Gon and how, you know, those can add up to, to do good in whatever capacity. I've noticed that on Twitter, especially you... Um, often, you know, reach out and even like kind of like the small interactions with lit- literally everyone who tries to interact with you. you. You know, you're always there engaging with them, small accounts, big accounts, doing the small things to make people feel welcome oh in the God, Star Wars yeah. community. So my goal is just props. to engage with every response that I get because I mean, honestly, like when I started, I just I didn't expect that I'd ever get any responses ever, and now like I have so many awesome people that give me responses, and I'm like, oh my God, come, I want to talk to you. <laughs> I do appreciate how you, you know, you use your energy there to engage, not just to create, not just to throw ideas out, but to also like, you know, use the ideas to, you know, to engage with the community around you, which is, I think that that goes a long way. It's the small things that go a long way. So thank you. (laughs) Chloe, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an awesome discussion to have with you about some Master and Apprentice. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. And before we close up today, I'll give our discussion question for these chapters. Although Qui-Gon clarified to Rahara that the Jedi only serve the will of the Republic, Rahara demanded what the point of a Republic was if they couldn't at least fight harder against slavery. What could the Jedi do when the body they serve is corrupt? Is it inherently wrong for the Jedi to take power, even if it could be used for good? And listeners, I will post a question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please send us a response on any of those platforms or by email to OuterRimReadsPod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay up to date on the show and our discussion questions, feel free to give us a follow on Twitter at OuterRimReadPod and on Facebook and Instagram at OuterRimReadsPod. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so if you head over to patreon.com slash Outer Rim Reads. And if you want t-shirts, stickers, and more, you can find us on teespring.com slash stores slash Outer Rim Reads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Gayhod, is hosted by Andrew Gayhod, is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Gayha as well as Simon Van Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 31. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Check out the billboard in the back for community activities and sign up for Qui-Gon's Zen session. I hear he's bringing meditation candles. <laughs>